welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, this morning we're going to talk about anger. And I, I realize that that doesn't apply to you unless you have a pulse. But uh, I'm joking because it's one of those things that I think is, is crucial for all of us to understand. That's, it's, uh, it's one a topic I think that God's been, been preparing for me to talk about these last few weeks. And <clears throat> not the kind of preparing that comes from, you know, sitting by a quiet stream and some reflective study. No, no, this has been more of the practical, hands-on kind of preparation, the, the stuff where you get to see it and study it up close. And uh, so needless to say, I'm looking forward to moving off of this topic and onto something else. Although, unfortunately, we're going to need at least one more week on this topic. But I am looking forward to, I figure if I'm going to experience things that I have to teach, I should start teaching on how to live with too much wealth and comfort. I figure that's going to be our next topic. So, but I'm kidding because, you know, there is an aspect of anger that is funny. I mean, I don't know if you've ever kind of uh, seen uh, seen this the funny side of it, but there is something about seeing adults kind of lose their s- stuff uh, and and act like little toddlers, you know, throwing their their sippy cups on the ground and that sort of thing. Uh, for example, Google Sports Meltdown. If you're ever bored on a on a you know some evening, and you will go down a rabbit hole of coaches just losing their minds over you know the calls they didn't get and so forth. My my personal favorite, I think, are when those uh, baseball managers get all angry, upset, Billy Martin style, kicking dirt and that sort of thing. But then they grab a second base and they toss it into the outfield as if that's somehow going to punish the umpire. Because the umpire isn't going to get it. It's the, you know, the grounds crew is going to get the, the, the base. They're not doing anything. But there's just that, that mentality of just them losing their mind. It's, again, it's, it's a little bit comical to kind of watch that at times. I, I remember actually when, when Joy and I, we were first married and we were still living in Toledo, Ohio. And she was, she was finishing up her master's degree in piano performance. And I was still working as an engineer. But it was playoff time. It was playoff season. And the Leafs were against Philadelphia. And they were having a, a great series, right? I mean, little trip down memory lane. Guys like Tucker and Sundin and Belfour and McCabe were on the Leafs. And guys like LeClaire and uh, and Recky and, and Roenick and Donald Brashear. Remember Brashear? They were on the Philadelphia Flyers. And so then the Leafs still had some sandpaper in their roster. And Philadelphia was still kind of the, the broad steep broad street bullies of, of sorts and and so it was a it was as hockey as playoff hockey should be fast paced intense lots of chippiness lots of hitting and uh and so i remember watching the series and it was game seven now and uh it was tense it was it was you know things were, were going I, I remember yelling at the ref because i'm i know i know he heard me through the tv and i know he felt embarrassed and shamed by the call and that led to making a better job going forward i'm, I'm sure my yelling helped but it apparently wasn't enough because in Game Seven, uh, the Leafs got blown out six-one. They were never in it. It was it was over within a, just a few minutes into the game, and and so I was I was moody, I was angry, I was frustrated, and I was I was clearly not behaving as well as I could have. We'll say it that way. 
And uh, I remember Joy, she was she was a little bit shocked and terrified because she not not yet seen this side of me, but it was too late because we were married. So she was kind of thinking, oh, who have I married? What have I what have I gotten myself into? Um so you know, there's some funny sides to that. We kind of laugh a little bit about that now, a little bit. Um, although she's never really accepted the leaps after that. But but so again, there's the, that anger can sometimes be be entertaining when no one gets hurt. And that's what's really important. When no one gets hurt. Uh, then it's just adults acting like children. However, majority of the time that's not the case. Uh, anger is a very powerful emotion. And, and more often than not, it's going to leave a lasting uh, impact that is also equally powerful on those who are going to be experiencing that anger being expressed. So, so like for example, in, in, in the Christ-centered counseling that, that we offer here, um, we often, almost every person, we explore their history. We go through their story and try to understand the, the key people and key events that they kind of grew up with. Because what we're looking for is to understand how growing up shaped their worldview, shaped their view of themselves, even of, of God and those around them. Because the reality is we're all, we're all a product of three things. We're a product of our nature, meaning basically your, your, your DNA, which is really the, what your grandparents or great-grandparents were, that's going to determine your physical aspects and, and so forth, right? It's going to de uh, determine things about your, your height and often your weight and so forth, right? So those are things that you just can't control at all. That's your nature. DNA-wise. And then there's the nurture, meaning how, how did you grow up? What was your family environment like? And then finally, there's the environment in terms of the society and the culture. All three of them play a big role in, in devising and coming up with how we, we see ourselves. And it's in those early formative years that are so, <clears throat> so important on us, they play such a large role in shaping our, our soul. Uh, Think about it. When when you and I arrive here on planet day, it's a momentous day. It's it's the day that all other days were leading up to. Because in that moment, everything in history can now begin. <clears throat> I mean, up to that, it, it didn't really matter. It was just it's just building up to your arrival. Because your arrival has now, you know, announced the, the arrival of, of the king or the queen, the emperor or the empress. And so now life can begin. And Bill Gillum, he likes to call this the, the Lord of the Ring mentality, where I am the Lord of my ring, and anything that's in my ring counts, and everything that doesn't, doesn't. And so we often, as, especially as little kids, we believe we're the center of the universe. And what happens around us must therefore say something about us. So let me illustrate it. Imagine we got a little kid named, named Bobby. And Bobby's dad, he had a tough day at work. He's feeling squeezed. He's feeling overwhelmed. There's a deadline coming, and, and he's not sure he's going to be able to, to finish the task on, on time. And, and he was just, in fact, called onto the carpet by his boss, who just ripped into him for 30 minutes, just, just ripping into how much of a mess he's been and how he's letting the company down, and the last presentation was subpar, and he better get on this one. And all of that stress, all that pressure now is just weighing on Bobby's dad. And so now he's leaving work, and he's got that 45-minute commute home, battling traffic and all that mess, and finally he comes home, and he's just, he's just looking to find his favorite chair to just, just crash in. And so he's on his way, he sees it, and he thinks, oh, I'm, I'm going to be there, and I'll be okay. And then he steps on this, this little piece of Lego, which is, is the greatest toy in my mind, but I think partly has been designed 
as a landmine because I mean, the little sharp edges and just no giving those things. And so Bobby's dad steps on that and just sends the anger through the roof. I mean, at that point, it was all just, just brewing up inside, but that stepping on that little red brick just sends him into a rage. And he just turns and he unleashes on Bobby for leaving his toys and not being more respectful and on and on and on. And all of that is just, just going on Bobby. And so Bobby, he's sitting there and he thinks to himself, man, poor guy, must have had a rough day at work. I'll let it blow over. That's not what Bobby's thinking. Bobby, all he sees, all he knows is his dad is angry at him. Dad's upset with him. And, and Bobby, again, Lord of the Ring, King, Emperor, only one that matters in this world, center of the universe. Dad's anger must say something about him. And so the combination of the scowl, the tone, the, the words, the yelling, the screaming that's coming from this powerful adult male to this little, little child is really, it's, it's too much. And, and so Bobby begins to feel that, that you know what, uh, he's, he begins to actually feel everything that his dad was feeling when he was being reamed by, by his boss. But now he's feeling like a failure. He's feeling not good enough. He's feeling all the shame and this, his guilt and, and, and his emotions, which before were probably nice, zero, calm, cool, and relaxed. They shoot up to a nine or a 10, ready to explode real quick. And, and he's got all these tears and, and, and it leaves a mark. And, and so this and other similar events play out in Bobby's life. And over time, what's happening is as he's facing all this anger and he's facing not just from his dad, but maybe his mom or, or his sisters and brothers and friends and teachers and, and the world at, at large, and, and it begins to shape his soul. That anger is, is beginning to leave its mark. And, and so some, here's what begins to happen. It, living in that environment repeatedly over and over again, those emotions, they, just, they begin to creep up and never go back down. And so they begin to live at a six or a seven, which means that they wake up feeling great, but their emotions are already a little bit raw, already on edge a little bit. And so now a little thing happens, not much, but a little thing to add two or three points to your feeler, and your emotions are now at an eight or nine or even a 10, and they're ready to explode at this point. And so with those emotions screaming, that fight or flight or freeze mentality kicks in. And so either we, we power up with anger in response, or we run away and withdraw, or we just, we just we, we lock up. We don't know what to do with it. And, and chances are, after watching others like their dad respond with anger, now they begin to feel, Bobby begins to feel that permission to express that anger in the same way. And so this cycle just continues on and on and on and on. This uncontrolled anger just, just becomes a plague. Now, I use that term uncontrolled anger on purpose, though, because I think it's really important that we qualify the kind of anger that I'm speaking about. See, I don't, I don't remember if it was ever explicitly taught to me this way growing up, but, but I remember growing up that, that, there, that the anger that man feels is sinful and that there's a righteous anger that God feels, but that's different. And, and so basically, generally, is the ang any anger I have it must be a sinful emotion. And therefore, if I'm feeling angry, there must be something sin, something wrong, something not right going on inside of me. Because the reality, and this is what was subtly taught, good Christians don't get angry. And that's, that's what I carried with. 
And I know, granted, I mean, scriptures are filled with passages warning us about anger. They're warning us about um, the, the outcome of that if we're not careful, right? So here's a couple of passages from the book of Proverbs that speak to that. So Proverbs 22, 24 to 25 says, don't associate with a man given to anger or go with a hot-tempered man or, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. So the idea of Bobby growing up in that environment, he eventually learns it and he takes it on and he does it himself. Or Proverbs 29, 22, an angry man stirs up strife and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgression. See, it's important that we learn to react in a healthy way, in a way that, that doesn't cause this rage or this venom to, to, to seep out or to explode out for some uh, towards those because it can cause great damage to our own self, but also to those around us. But I think society at large has done a really poor job when it comes to dealing with emotions in general, but particularly the church, I think, has done a really poor job when it comes to understanding anger and emotions in the church. You see, what's happened is we've moralized emotions, meaning that there are some emotions that are good and there are some emotions that are bad. Right? So there's negative and there's positive emotions. When you, and we, we talk about that. We use those to qualify those emotions. And so what ends up happening is feeling depressed or feeling sad, despair, scared, and, and anger. Well, that's a negative. That's bad. And therefore, it's wrong to feel those things for anything more than just a fleeting moment. Right? It's supposed to just come in and quickly disappear. But instead, you know, we should be quickly getting on to other things, the positive emotions like joy and hope and peace and, and the sentimental feeling of love. That's, that's where we should live and that's where we should feel all the time. And that would be a sign of being a good Christian. The reality is emotions are neither positive nor negative. They're, they're not good nor bad. That, that's not what they are. They, they just are. They just exist. I, I like one, one author. He he likes to talk about emotions in this way. He says emotions are light and heavy. And I think that's such a great description about it because think about it. It's easy to walk around with peace and joy and hope. It's not a heavy burden to carry. I mean, I, we all want that. We all enjoy that. And, and it's wonderful to experience that. But the reality is we live in a sin-cursed world. We're, we're not in our final destination. We're not experiencing heaven for all it intends and, and all it's going to be for us. We live in a world full of hurts, of disappointments, of, of, of sin against us and, and living with the consequences of our own. And so it's, it's normal to experience hurt and disappointment and, and feeling despair and at times depression and anxiety. You see, those emotions aren't bad. They're just heavy. They're not easy to carry. They're difficult. And, and so I want you to know there's no shame in feeling any of those things. In fact, at times, it's right and appropriate to feel those things. I mean, think about it. If, if you lose a, a loved one, a loved one passes away, and you feel joy, that's not right. That's not healthy. That, that's a, a sign of, of a real deep mental di dissonance going on there. There's something not right about that. And, and so it's okay and right to feel certain things. And, and this whole idea of, of there being a righteous or a holy anger as an emotion versus a regular anger, just toss that whole idea aside. That, that idea needs to improve before it can become heresy. Because the reality is, think about it. How does a righteous anger feel different 
than regular anger. Anger is anger. It, it just it feels the same way because there's nothing attached to the feeling of anger to make it moral or not moral. So we need to remove all the moralistic tags off all of our emotions, realizing that God designed us to experience those emotions for a purpose. All emotions, the entire spectrum from light to heavy, they all play a role. And to, to ignore a particular spectrum, a particular part of that spectrum, because it just doesn't feel comfortable or we don't like it, all that does is make you less human. Because again, he, he designed us to experience all of them. And, and so, in fact, now, understanding that and not being afraid of our emotions, it allows us to, ex- to understand the role that God wants emotions to play in our lives. You see, emotions, they're simply a signal or an indicator that something may be happening. Now, it doesn't guarantee anything's happening. It's just that something might be happening. And therefore, we ought to go investigate, not to go find out what might be happening. And so the feeling of anger is really just a response to something else. See, anger, anger just doesn't appear out of nowhere. Instead, it's a secondary response. It's, it's a response to some kind of a stimulus that's happening. And, and to ignore that, that signal would be the equivalent of ignoring the oil light that comes on our dashboard of a car. I mean, you can. You can ignore it. But I guarantee you, down the road, you're going to have a bigger, bigger bill to pay, more problems to come from it. Because that warning light was trying to tell you, hey, something's happening. You need to check it out. And that's what anger is. That's what all emotions are, but anger in particular. It's a signal on the dashboard of our soul to let us know that something's happening. And that we got to go investigate. We got to go and we got to go and check it out, and find out what's happening. The other thing we need to recognize is that there's a difference between the emotion of anger and the expression of anger. And I think that's that's what we've not really understood very well. That we've kind of we put them together, and and the reality is there is a difference. One's a feeling, the other is an action or a behavior. Again, the feeling is going to be a result of the stimulus, of, of, of our circumstances that's going on around us. Maybe that's an injustice, or, or maybe it's a blocked goal, or maybe it's a hurt or a rejection that you've been experiencing, or, or someone's mistreated you in some form, right? So it's, it's, that feeling is going to be a natural response to that, that circumstance, that stimulus. But what we do next, our response to that situation now, that expression of anger that's a choice we make. Hear that? When we, when we express anger, that's a choice we make. Nobody makes you angry in that way. Now, again, we're separating the feeling from the expression. So when it comes to expression, nobody makes you angry. You choose anger as a, as a response in that moment as a tool to solve your problem. So, so that line, you know, you make me so angry... It's true about your emotions, maybe, but it's not true when it comes to our actions. Nobody chooses us to do that. So when, when the, the psalmist in Psalm 37, 8 writes this, that we're to cease from anger and forsake wrath, do not fret, it only leads to evil doing. Or in James 1.20, where James writes that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. They're not talking about the feeling of anger. That's not what they're talking about. They're not warning us about feeling angry. What they're warning us of is the expression or the action of anger. Because when you listen to the flesh and you express that anger in that uncontrolled way, now it becomes damaging to you and those around you. 
And, and so it's that kind of anger, that uncontrolled or more accurately, fleshly controlled anger that's not spirit controlled. That's the stuff that we're concerned about. That's what we want to learn how to deal with, right? Because that's what's going to lead to us having all these issues. So the anger, the emotion, not the problem. Anger, the expression that is uncontrolled or flesh controlled, that's what we want to guard up against. So before we look at how we can understand a healthy expression of anger, let's look at some common unhealthy expressions of, of feeling angry, uh, how we, what we do when we feel angry. Let's look at those ones first. So the first one I want to look at is this idea of, of burying it or ignoring it or just avoiding our anger, sort of living in, in a state of denial. Basically, what I see happening is we, we don't allow ourselves to be angry. Maybe, maybe you grew up and, and you, you grew up as I did and you learned good Christians don't get angry and therefore it's not okay. It's not right for me to be angry. Or, or maybe you grew up in a home where, where you weren't allowed to be angry. And that was sort of the subtle message that you weren't supposed to be angry. You have no right to be angry. And so you just, you don't allow yourself to go there. Or, or maybe you grew up and you saw other people being expressing their anger and you were afraid that that would happen to you. And so again, you just bury it. You just stuff it down. You live in a state of denial. And, and the reality is anybody who says, I don't get angry, this is for you. We all feel angry at times. It's again, how can you not get angry living in this world from time to time? It's going to happen. Uh, you just drive on the highway and that will lead to all kinds of anger. Right? So it's normal for you to have those feelings, but to not recognize it just means you're going to just push it down and deny it. And here's, here's the problem with that. It leads to, to one or of two different responses. One, you might become the pressure cooker, where it just builds and it builds and it builds and it builds until suddenly you explode. And then often you're going to explode on the person that doesn't need it, doesn't deserve it. Or two, you suppress it in such a way, you, you disconnect all your emotions. And you shut down and you're so disconnected from your feelings because they don't feel comfortable, but then you don't get to experience anything that's good. And so this, this whole world becomes stale. This whole world becomes very dry. And so that's one, one mistake we make. Another mistake we make is transference, where basically we end up taking it on other people. Right? This is the story of, of Bobby, right? where, where he, he was experiencing all that you know, his, uh, anger from his dad. His dad was, was beat up at work, so dad comes home and he takes out the anger on the kids or takes it out on the, on the dog. And so basically what happens in the trans, transference is those who are innocent are experiencing the wrath that has been building up inside of someone else. The next one is we, we internalize. And, and so basically, there's an explosion of anger, but this explosion of anger is internal. And so basically what's happening is, is we're, we're, we're taking out the anger, but on ourselves. And so what happens now is this anger is going to lead to depression. It's going to lead to anxiety. It's going to lead to all kinds of, of mental health struggles because it's, it's taking out that anger on ourselves. And, and we just blame in this self-hatred. And it leads to all kinds of problems. Or, or what we'll do is we'll camouflage it. And so this camouflage is a, is a form of denial through, through rationalizing, through minimizing, through denying it, or even just twisting things, trying to make it sound spiritual. And, and so I see this happen for a lot of people. 
where oh, it wasn't that big of a deal or, um, you know, it, it, it was so long ago, it doesn't really matter. And so it's there, but we don't allow ourselves to recognize it. And so it, it's just, we're camouflaging. We're just trying to make it sound sound nice and, and so forth. But but think about it. To, to think that, that you can somehow live in this world, this sin-cursed world, and not experience any scars from it, not experience any hurts from it, that would would leave this the a mark on our soul is sort of the expression of of a car going through a smash up derby and not have any dents or scratches on the end of it. It's just it's just not possible. And so if if you're again you're kind of thinking, well, this this doesn't really apply to me, then chances are you're living under this camouflage. Or another thing that we do is we begin to act out. We act out in unhealthy ways, meaning we have to express this anger, but we don't want to express the anger in, in transferring it onto other people. And, and maybe we don't even act out in terms of anger towards the person who's causing this anger. So what we end up doing is we, we act out in another way. Maybe it's, it's drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Uh, maybe it's, it's pornography or, or illicit relationships. Uh, even, even food and sometimes exercise can be this way where people either they overeat or they become so self, you know, trying to control everything that they be, become, you know, addicts of, of exercise. And they're over-exercising even as a way to try to control their anger. And no, no, Pastor Greg, by the way, your avoidance of exercise is not making sure that anger gets the better of you, just, just so we're clear. Um, all right, the last one then. The last unhealthy way is, is we weaponize our anger. And, and so basically what we do is we, we use our anger now as a means to control people, control those around me, uh, control circumstances and situations. And we do it maybe because we want a particular outcome, or maybe we're just doing it because we're afraid of getting hurt again. And so we weaponize that anger. And now it's a form of self-protection, but we're just going to hurt other people as a result of it. All of that is that flesh-controlled or uncontrolled anger that we're, we're, we're warned about in Scripture that we want to deal with. Well, that's our introduction. So let's pray. We'll read the verse, and then we can start our message. I'm kidding. We're, we're not going we're, to—we're through most of it. Don't, don't worry. We're, we're, we're rounding the corner here. But, but it is—really, it is the introduction to the topic. And like I said, we're going we're gonna to spill into next week and, and look at it in more. And the reality is we could spend months and months on this. But quite frankly, I, I'm, I'm done with living in it this close. So I want to move on to other things as well. But next week, we're going to do is we're going to look at the various sources of anger. The, the things that, that why is it that's, that's stirring all this up inside of us? And, and then also helping us then, how do I deal with that anger in, in, a, in a broader spectrum? But this morning, for the rest of this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at what is our response in the moment. So regardless of what the source is, what's, what's our response to be in that moment of anger? And so let's read the verse. So the verse that we're going to look at, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul writes, Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. I want you to notice there are actually four commands in this, these two verses. There are four commands. We're going to look at each of them briefly. The first command that Paul gives us is be angry. Notice that. He actually commands us to be angry. 
The NIV, they completely missed this one when they translated it. They translated that when you're angry, don't sin. But no, no, that's not, the command's not don't sin. That's, that's, that's the second command. The, the first command is actually be angry. And it's a command. The mood's imperative in the Greek. But what's interesting about this one is that the, the voice on it is a passive voice. Right? There's a, there's a middle, and uh, an active, and a passive voice. And this one's a passive voice. The other three commands we're going to see are active, meaning those are things you do. But a passive voice is something that's done to you. And I find that's really interesting that Paul's not commanding you to stir up this anger. Then that would be active. Instead, it's a passive command, meaning it's something that is done to us. It's something that, that applies to us, right? So, so this feeling of anger, it's a response to an external stimulus, to, to some hurt, to some rejection. And, and it's, it's not saying that you have to now stir up this anger. It's just allow that anger to exist. So don't ignore it. Don't dismiss it. Don't pretend it's not there. Don't bury your anger. Don't camouflage it. But feel it. Be angry. Don't miss the significance of this command. I mean, think about it. How, how often have we been told you have no right to feel angry? Or how many times have we told ourselves that we just shouldn't be angry, that it happened so long ago, we should get over it? But, but maybe, maybe we just can't get over it because we've never actually followed that first command. We've never allowed ourselves just to be angry, to feel anger. And it's so important that Paul makes that the first command. Be angry. Now, it doesn't end there. Remember, there's an emotion of anger that we're allowed to feel, but now he's going to transition talking about the expression of that anger. And he says, don't respond negatively. Don't sin out of that anger. Now, let me back up a little bit. I missed something really important here because why is it important to feel that anger? Because do you realize that anger is good? But anger sometimes can be good. I'll say it that way. See, God is angry at times. It's a healthy, natural emotion. To, to never feel anger is not some badge of honor. God's not impressed with you that way. It's, it just means that you're, you're less human and you're not living the way God intends us to live. Because think about it. What can anger do? Well, anger can be good because it can lead to change. Anger can be good because it, it can lead us to recognize an injustice that needs to be righted. Or, or maybe anger can help us expose that something's not right, something's, something's wrong in terms of how you're being treated or how things are going. So those, that feeling of anger, don't ignore it, don't deny it. Be angry, but don't sin out of that anger, meaning that there is a way, there is a healthy way that we can respond that isn't, isn't sinful. And again, this command, it's, it's a command, it's imperative, but it's an active one, the voice this time. I mean, this is something that we do. It's one of restraint. It's one where we're living under control. We're not letting the flesh dominate us. We're not letting our emotions of anger dominate us. We're still letting the Holy Spirit respond. And so we don't have to explode with this rage and this anger. There is another option. The third command then is do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is, a, this is the kind of advice that's often given to, to newly married couples, right? They should never go to sleep angry. And so if you're going to bed and, and suddenly get into a fight around 10 o'clock at night, you can't go to sleep until you solve the, that fight because, you know, don't go, to, don't go to bed on your anger sort of idea. 
And there might be some wisdom in that, but that's not exactly what Paul has in mind here. See, this phrase that Paul using is an idiom. Now, I'm not calling anyone an idiot here. And an idiom is an expression that we use that's not meant to be taken literally. For example, if someone says to you, you're barking up the wrong tree, they're not literally meaning you're barking at a tree. Or this idea is going to blow your socks off. They don't literally mean your socks are going to suddenly explode off your feet. It's an idiom. It's a phrase. And it's an expression we're using that's really trying to convey a larger meaning. And that's what Paul's using here with this phrase, not letting your sun go down on your anger. It's an idiom. It's a phrase he's using. And all he's meaning is just don't ignore it. You need to deal with it. You need to, to, to make sure you address it in some way. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in that moment or even that day. Think about it. That, that couple going to bed and it's late, and maybe now it's 11, 11.30 at night, and they're exhausted, they're tired. The long day at work and long day with the kids, and, and they're really exhausted. And that, that exhaustion actually maybe contributed to the misunderstanding. Well, should they now stay up rehashing and fighting until 3 o'clock in the morning and solve it? Well, chances are it's just going to get worse because they get more and more tired as the night goes on. And so maybe the best thing they do in that moment is let's go to sleep. And then tomorrow when we're fresh, then we'll address it. And then when they're fresh, they, they look at it and they go, you know what? That was so silly. What a misunderstanding. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? You're right. I, I blew it too. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And they solve it really quickly. So it's not that you have to solve it that day or right away, but you do need to address it. Because if you don't, it's just going to get worse. And that leads us into the fourth command that Paul gives us. And the final command is, do not give the devil an opportunity. So what happens is, is that anger that we ignore, that anger that we, we, we don't deal with, again, it, whether it comes out in anger and comes out in rage and on, on those people we're angry at or the people who aren't, don't deserve it in the transference, or it just begins to eat away at you. And what happens now is, is we're giving a foothold, as one translation says, to the enemy. We're giving him an opportunity. We're giving him a beachhead. And in doing so now, he has a, he has a place to launch his attacks from. And, and that's what's so dangerous to us. Think about it this way. In, in World War II, what, what was so important about D-Day and, and on the beaches of Normandy is that the, the soldiers, when they got the beach, when they are able to land there, they now had a, a staging ground for the rest of Europe. That the soldiers could land there safely, get organized, get, get loaded up, and then go off into battle. And so that beachhead is critical. Well, when we have all this anger that we are not resolving and, and, and we're not dealing with, all it does is it gives the enemy, gives the devil a foothold an opportunity, a beachhead to now launch his attacks against us over and over again, to attack our mind, to attack our soul, and make things so much worse. So we want to know how do I deal with those anger, deal with that anger. And again, next week we're going to look at how we deal with, with anger in terms of the root causes and the sources of it. But right now, this morning, we want to look at how we deal with the anger in the moment. In that moment where you step on that Lego piece, in that moment when, when someone cuts you off in traffic, how do I respond in that moment? And again, we're not talking about the feeling. Don't, I'm not talking about stopping the feeling of emotion, of anger. Rather, how do I not sin out of that anger? How do I prevent that anger from controlling us? And here, I think it's really important and helpful to understand and remember that that expression of anger 
is really, it's a deed of the flesh. Remember in Galatians 5, 19 and 21, Paul there talks about the deeds of the flesh or, or symptoms of the flesh or the workings of the flesh, meaning that the flesh is going to express itself in certain ways. And one of those things that I listed is an outburst of anger. And what that tells us is that when, when, we, when we give in to that anger and that uncontrolled anger comes out, it's not an anger problem you're having in the moment. It's a flesh problem that is presenting itself as an anger problem. That's the issue. It's, it's the flesh. And, and what we're doing in that moment is we're listening to the voice of the flesh as it's trying to, to lead us in a way to somehow control and protect ourselves and, and make sure that we're okay, but doing it independent of Jesus. And so we want to find out, how do I not listen to the flesh? So while I was doing some study, I was, I was watching some videos and, and seeing on, on some other people and how, how they presented this idea of how we deal with anger. And, and I found it interesting that there's one video I watched. As I watched him talk about anger and dealing with anger, I got more angry watching it. Isn't that interesting? And I got more angry watching it. And, and, and the reason was because his, his counsel was so shallow. It was so empty. It was like he doesn't live in this world. And, and, and he's not realizing that, that the battle we're up against is so much deeper than just this, this momentary feeling of anger. It's one of, of dealing with the flesh. And that's why he had no answers. So things like breathe and count to 10 and, and try and see it from other people's perspectives and so forth, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. They, they, they do have a part to play. Because in terms of breathing and, and, and counting to 10, all you're doing is you're just buying time. And that's helpful because we're allowing our, our feeler to come back down. See, when your emotions are intense, when they're so high, it's hard to ignore. And that's why we lash out. We're just looking to blow off some steam, to vent a little bit. So breathe and count to 10 can be helpful things, but only so much as it allows you to regain your wits. Because basically what's happened is, is the flesh has launched an attack on our mind. Right? That's what's happening. Romans 7 talks about that. How the, how the indwelling sin or the flesh is waging war with our mind. And it's dropped not just one thought, but, but a, a bomb of, of thoughts. And all these thoughts have hit us that have, have led to these emotions because emotions are responding to our thinking. All these emotions suddenly rise up. And so we want to buy some time to allow ourselves to catch up. And sometimes breathing helps, sometimes counting the 10, sometimes going for a walk. That can help, but it doesn't end the battle in that moment. Because that temptation then is now still there to vent and respond in that anger. And so what we need to do is we need to realize we're in a battle with the flesh. And therefore, we have to, we have to answer, and we answer with the cross. Because the cross is the answer for us. It's through the cross that we're able to find victory. You see, uh, listen to this verse, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 13. Read along with me. Paul says this, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Well, let's, let's look at this verse. Have it up on the screen there and look at the verse. Let's explain it here. What he's saying is, is Paul says, you're not under obligation. The flesh doesn't control you anymore. Why doesn't it control you? Because you were crucified with Christ and you no longer live. And when you died with Jesus, the, the flesh control and dominion and authority over you is broken. The old man is gone. 
and you're freed from that. And so you're not under obligation. You don't have to listen. You don't have to do it what the flesh says. But if you are, if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. That's not, it's not a, a threat. It's not a punishment. It's not even a command. It's a, it's a promise that you will experience death. That's really a, a better translation. of You will, in that moment, experience all the misery of it. But if by the Spirit, now that's the key. It's not my job to overcome the flesh. It's by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit now living in me as a new creation. If we're putting to death, we're rejecting what the flesh is offering to us, we will experience life. See, that's, that's essentially what Paul is talking about in the verses previous in Ephesians 4. right? This idea of, of taking off a garment, of taking off the old ways of living because you've, you've laid aside the old self. The old man was crucified with Christ. You're a new person. We put on a new garment. We put on a new way of living. And now we get to live like a new way. And so we're going to trust Jesus to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So when that thought comes to us, yell and scream and vent and, and throw and punch, hopefully we can remember in that moment, I don't have to live that way anymore. That's not who I am. Right? The Galatians 2.20, that I've been crucified with Christ, and I, the old angry me, no longer lives. But Christ, he lives in me now. And he can live in a different way. And so Jesus in me now can respond in a healthy way. Jesus in me now can respond in a way that is speaking truth in love. That doesn't mean I, I avoid the issue, I ignore it. Instead, I can speak to, to uh, the situation, but I can speak truth in a loving way, with gentleness, with kindness, and meekness. And remember what we said about meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength, but under control. And we can only do that as Jesus in me does that. Only Jesus in me is, able to pull, is capable of pulling that off. And so we're going to trust Jesus now to, to be that source of strength that shows love instead of that anger. And, and that's what we want. Now, are we going to do it perfectly all the time? No. No, I mean, you might, you might say heart, or hurtful words. You might stomp. You might try to punch the wall or, or the couch or something like that. Uh, I know I've done that too recently. Um, and what we do is when we do that, recognize you've blown it. Ask for forgiveness from those around you. But then remember, I don't have to keep going anymore. That I can stop this, this, this uh, expression of, of anger, this uncontrolled anger or flesh-controlled anger, maybe more accurately, in any given moment, not by my own might, not by my own will, but by listening to Jesus and letting Jesus in me overcome it. And that's how we find victory. That's how we overcome it in that moment. Now, easier said than done, right? It is. It is. It's hard. It's so hard when those emotions spike so quickly. And, and we don't have enough time right now to go into as much detail as I'd like to. And so we'll probably revisit this one in, in uh, some more next week. But there's one thing that I think could be really helpful to us in this is, it, is that you don't have to protect yourself from anger on your own. I mean, you don't have to self-protect. In fact, chances are, if you are only self-protecting yourself with, from anger, the flesh is going to win. Instead, this is why it's so good to have people that we trust around us and allowing them to protect us. You see, when that anger spikes, when those emotions flare up, 
it's easy to get blinded by it. I mean, how many of us have ever experienced a blinding rage? I, I know I have, and, and there's been a physical blinding from it, but there's also a, there's an, a, a, a mind blinding where, where our, we get this tunnel vision, and we, all we see is the moment. All we see is the justification we have in exploding in anger in that moment. And, and so we're going to lose that control, and, 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 and we feel justified, and we feel right in all that. But our judgment is clouded. Our judging, our judgment is compromised in that moment because our mind is compromised. Here, here's where our loved ones, our trusted ones around us can help protect us. Because see, they see what's going on better than we do. They, they see the signs. They see that emotion rising up and they know where it's going to take us. And the question is, will we allow them to protect us? Will we allow them to, to say something to us that, that can kind of be a trigger, can be a moment that reminds us that we're, we're listening to the flesh in this moment. And, and take a moment and pause and regain our wits, regain our bearings, and re, regain listening to the Holy Spirit, recognizing we're under attack. Now, it's hard because, because it requires so much trust, because I, I feel so justified going in this, this one direction, and this person is telling me I'm wrong and I need to go another direction, and I got to trust that they're not trying to they're not trying to play me. They're not trying to win an argument. They're not trying to control me. But that they are, in fact, trying to love me and protect me in this moment. And that's not easy. It's so hard. But when you do, you save yourself and you save those around you from so much unnecessary hurt. And so it's allowing other people to protect us. Again, we're going to talk about more about that next week when we start talking about about the, the issues of anger and the sources of anger and where they're coming from. But this morning, remember this. You yourself cannot overcome anger in the moment, but Christ in you can. And because what happened on the cross, we're going to apply the cross. We're going to recognize that Jesus died and we died with him. Therefore, I don't have to listen to the flesh. I don't have to, to give in to this moment. That's what Paul meant in Romans 8 when he's talking about crucifying or, or applying death to these thoughts is I'm recognizing I'm, I'm dead to sin, dead to the flesh, but I'm alive to Jesus. And Jesus in that moment can express his life through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, anger is so, so hard to deal with at times because it's so emotional and it's so powerful. And, and it's scary. And it's been used in a lot of people's lives to hurt the, hurt, been, they've been hurt by them or hurt others by them. And, and I pray, Father, that we see that we don't have to be afraid of the feeling of anger. That we can, we can learn to express anger in a healthy way and that it can lead to healthy change. But we recognize, Father, that we can't do it on our own. That we can't overcome this anger on our own. Instead, Lord, we need your spirit to do so. And that's why you've come to live inside of us. It's so that, Jesus, you can overcome the flesh. You can overcome that, that thought, that temptation of anger. And we instead could experience life and offer life to those around us through your kindness, through your gentleness, through your love. And that's our desire. That's what we want to see. In your name we pray. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. 
Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.